Hello, guys. So I was going to wait to share this until a little bit later, but I'm going to go ahead just because I think that was a really sensitive time of worship in the Lord's presence. Um, but last night when we were at prayer, um, Morgan was singing a song. Um, I think that she wrote, actually. Um, and the words to the bridge were just, spirit come, we're ready for you. Um, and last night I had this like hiccup in my spirit because I felt like Jesus was saying, like, I'm ready to pour out more. Um, but are you ready to receive it? And are you ready to respond in the responsibility and the obedience that comes with that? And I just want to say thanks because I think tonight was evidence that we are ready. Um, just that was a really, really precious time of worship. And if you didn't think so, get in God's presence because he's definitely here right now. Um, and I think he wants to do something really cool tonight. So bear with me as we go through this. Um, for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Elizabeth. I'm the creeper that runs around in the back with the iPad taking attendance every week at service. Um, AKA, I'm the connections director for Chi Alpha. Um, <laughs> I also get to help, um, this is a privilege, but I get to help oversee things at CC and Stevens, which is awesome, and God is doing some really cool things there. So, here's all that you need to know about me. Becca and I love to play this little game, so she's gonna, I don't even know how this started, but this is what you need to know. So, Becca, who do I love? Good answer. I also love you. You're pretty cool. Okay, there are five correct answers, and let's see if she can get them in order. What do I love? Okay, so in order, the things that will always make me happy, puppies, tea, plants, the Queen of England, and ice cream. It's all you need to know. But I'm also a grandma, which kind of means that I just bake a lot of cookies and I knit a lot. It's great. Does anybody knit, crochet, cross-stitch, fellow grandmas out there? Those are my people right there. So when I say I knit a lot, I'm not joking. Um, I, I knit way too much. It's really quite a problem. Um, but a couple of years ago, I realized that I never actually knit something for myself. Like, I'd always knit scarves and baby blankets and stuff for other people. So I decided that I needed to make myself a blanket. It had to be perfect, obviously, so I wrote my own pattern. But most patterns have what they call a gauge. So they have a little thing that says, this many stitches will make four inches worth of blanket. I didn't gauge it, so I had no idea how big this blanket was going to be until after I got started, right? And when you knit, it's all kind of like squished up on the needle, so you can't really tell until you're into it. For reference, um, a year and a half later, uh, I think it ended up being like 408 rows, 150,000 some stitches. Realized that my blanket was nine and a half feet wide, <laughs> and I stopped at six feet tall because I was just like, nobody needs a blanket this big, right? When you count out the hours, it took me between eight and nine days of my life to knit this blanket. In the words of Angela Jarvis, it only took the Lord seven to make the entire <laughs> So do you ever have a moment in life when you thought you needed something and realized that you probably didn't need it as bad as you thought you did? Don't get me wrong, blankets are wonderful. My blanket is absolutely wonderful. But I have an entire ladder full of blankets at home. Let's just ponder for a moment how many things I could have been doing in the 200 plus hours that it took me to knit this blanket. In Chi Alpha, we have this ism. We have a lot of isms, if you haven't noticed. We have a lot of little sayings that we like to repeat over and over and over again. Um, but we have this one specific one that I want to talk about tonight. 
see a need, and meet a need. Whether it's knitting a blanket, watching Netflix, doing both at the same time, we do a lot of things that we don't necessarily need to do that end up blinding us to the needs that are around us. So tonight, I want to talk about a passage in Mark where Jesus helps the disciples see past their own needs in order to see the need and meet the need of a very large group of people. So let's turn to Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. And if you don't have your Bible with you, it'll be up there. This is one of... I think two stories recorded in all four Gospels. That's pretty big. So Tom tells us all the time, if something is repeated in scripture, that means we should probably pay attention to it, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all thought that this story was worth telling. So as we look at the feeding of the 5,000 men and their families, what was Jesus trying to teach his disciples? So Mark chapter six, verse 30 through 44. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting pretty late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. So, as we're coming into the story, where are the disciples coming from? Verse 30 says that they were coming back from a ministry tour. I don't know about you, um, but ministry is kind of tiring sometimes, and a whole tour of it sounds exhausting. At the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus sent the disciples out in pairs to do miracles in his name and call people to repentance. When we meet up with them in this passage, they're just coming back to Jesus to tell him how everything went. Everything went well, but it went so well that more and more people were coming to the disciples, asking the miraculous to be done in their lives. Matthew also tells us that this was right after John the Baptist was beheaded. Um, So John was Jesus' cousin, So Jesus was probably trying to get away to grieve as well as to rest. But what happens as they try to get away? All of these people figure out where they're going and they beat them there. How did Jesus respond when plans changed? So this brings us to our first point of the night. See the need. Number one. Jesus was the first to see a need in this moment. He saw that his disciples needed rest and food, and he wanted to take care of them. But as soon as he stepped out of the boat, he was filled with compassion because the crowds were like sheep without a shepherd. 
So he does what Jesus does, and he sits them down, begins to heal people, is teaching them, he's doing all of this stuff, right? Do we react in the same compassion? When we're tired, or when plans change, or when we're hurting or grieving? How many of you, on your way home from work or from school, stop by Walmart because you need like two things? You walk in, you get it, there are these wonderful cashiers who probably would love to have good conversation and say hi to you, but somebody somewhere was like, I don't wanna talk to them, and created these lovely little machines called self-checkout. <laughs> and so how many of us, after a long day, you're like, I don't wanna talk to anybody, you grab your stuff and you go straight to self-checkout, right? We all do it, whether or not we'll admit it. To be honest, I don't know that it's possible to react in the compassion of Jesus if we can't see the actual need because we're so focused on our own needs. See, the disciples started to see a need, but I don't know that it's the need that Jesus wanted them to see or that they had the heart behind it that Jesus wanted them to have. The disciples saw 5,000 men and their families. It's getting late. They're in a remote place, and they don't have any food to feed these people. How many of you are hangry people? Yeah. Imagine being hangry with 5,000 of your closest friends, their wives, and their children. Children are scary when they're hungry. So the physical need was undeniably great, but do you think there was any selfishness in what the disciples suggested when they asked Jesus to send the people away, right? They were supposed to be getting away to rest and to recuperate from ministry, and all of a sudden there's people everywhere. Do we, this one's fun, <laughs> do we let our own needs cloud our vision for the spiritual needs of others? Jesus was able to see the spiritual needs of the people, and so he sat in his grief and his exhaustion and taught them. Until we have a clear perspective of the needs that are around us, free of pride or our own selfish ambition, we cannot react with the compassion that God has commanded us to have. So was Jesus telling us that rest is not important? <laughs> I don't think he would have taken his disciples away if he thought that it wasn't important. So then, how do we learn to rest and take care of ourselves when there are always needs around us? I'm no expert in this. Please do not think that I am. I'm not good at rest, and I'll admit that. But I'm learning. <laughs> so I think it's important to remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all about your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Jesus still sees our needs and he's going to take care of them. For me, that wonderful cozy blanket that I knit, it's so easy for me when I see my own needs to get overwhelmed by them. And of course I run to my home where I can make a lovely cozy cup of tea, cuddle with my blanket, pretend like everything's gonna be okay, right? But it doesn't solve anything. It doesn't work out any of our problems. Needs have to be met in community. And this is something that I am learning. When I bring my needs to Jesus, I have to accept that he's going to meet them however he wants to, whether that's independently, that I can meet them myself, or more likely that he's going to let somebody else help me meet that need in my life. But when I surrender my needs to Jesus, his grace to me compels me to pay attention to those around me. As we trust Jesus to take care of our own needs, we're able to focus more on his kingdom, which would mean focusing on the people God has placed in our lives. 
Take a second to think about this with me. What are some of the needs that we can see around us right now? Tom just showed us a warehouse, and we'll be talking about this a lot this month. Um, But there are children all over the world who go hungry every day, right? There are a whole lot of people on our campuses who don't know Jesus. But what else? When we open our eyes to see people the way that Jesus sees them, with his compassion and his love, we can no longer be blind to the needs. I have family and friends who need miracles to happen in their bodies. I can see that. I can see people who need healing. But when I open my eyes the way that Jesus wants me to, I can also see the spiritual needs that they have. So if we see these needs, what are we supposed to do with them? Again, the disciples saw a bunch of hungry people, and this one makes me laugh. They bring it to Jesus like he didn't already know. You know, like, hey, by the way, Jesus, there's 5,000 men over there that need food. Don't get that one. But my favorite part of this is that they do exactly what I would have done, and they offer a very logical solution, right? If you see a task that is great, if you see 5,000 people that need to be fed, you're going to logically say, I don't have what I need to feed them, so please send them on their merry way. But what does Jesus say? And that brings us to our second point tonight. Meet the need. I love Matthew's account of this story because when the disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, send them away so they can go get something to eat, Jesus looks at them and he says, that's not necessary, you feed them. What? (laughs) Like, how is it not necessary for us to send this crowd of people away to go get food? In John's account, Philip's the first one to come back and be like, excuse me? Like, that's not possible. What are, wh- how are you asking us to do this? Some commentators say it could have been anywhere from 10 to 20,000 people that were there that day. So I can relate to the disciples on this because I'm, I'm very much a planner. Um, I have some friends who are dreamers and who are visionary. And every other word out of their mouth, they're like, we're going to see stadiums full of people praising Jesus. We're going to see all of Mizzou saved, and we're not going to stop there. We're going to hit all of Columbia after that. And I'm like, that's great. I love that. I can get behind that. That's like hashtag goals, Miss Angela. But I'm an executor. I don't chop people's heads off. That's an executioner. But what I... <laughs> but when my visionary friends start dreaming... I start trying to figure out how to make it happen because that's just how my brain works. I need to know what the steps are. I need to know where we're headed. I need to know what direction we're going, right? So when Jesus says, you feed them, my immediate response is, with what? Like, I don't understand how you're going to get from point A to point B right now. The disciples knew that it would take months for them to earn enough money to be able to feed that many people, and they didn't have it, and they especially did not have it in that moment. So... I would have been like, Jesus, you're crazy. Like, (laughs) I don't understand what's going on. When Jesus tells us to meet a need in someone else's life, what keeps us from actually doing it? Does our lack of time, of money, of resources, of knowledge keep us from seeing the need? Or do we just choose to turn a blind eye and not even acknowledge it? I think we're too good at dismissing the needs of others because we don't see how their need can be met with what we have. Whether or not we vocalize it, a lot of times we say, I don't have much, so why would I even try? How on earth am I supposed to end world hunger when I can't even pay for my college without going into student debt? 
How can I evangelize this entire campus when I don't feel like I can hear God's voice consistently in my own life? How can I find, help my friend find joy in the Lord when I'm struggling with my own anxiety and depression? Jesus didn't ask them if they had enough. He asked them how much they had, and those are two very, very different questions. Jesus does not expect us to be enough to meet the need, but he does expect us to be willing to bring what we do have. So I think it's interesting that Jesus asked them how much bread they had specifically, and the disciples come back and they're like, well, we have five loaves of bread, but we also have these two fish, right? <laughs> like, where did that come from? So follow me on this thought for just a second. In the book of John, Jesus tells us that he is the bread of life, right? And most of the disciples were fishermen, correct? So fish were what they would have known. They were a means for the disciples before they found Jesus. They were money, they were food, their social lives probably centered around going out on a boat and catching some fish. As Jesus is trying to teach them that he is enough, the bread of life, I think in grace, Jesus chose to use what they brought. In John 6.35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. He could have met the need out of the abundance of who he was. The bread would have been enough, and I believe that. But even if it wasn't necessary, he chose to take what they had, break it, bless it, and distribute it to the crowd. How often does Jesus say, how much of me do you have to offer right now? And we come and say, I have this much of you, but I also have this little piece of me that I'd like to bring as well. Not that that's a bad thing, but what we have in comparison to the life-giving, bread-filling power of Jesus is just stinky fish. But he still chooses to use us. He takes what we have to bring he blesses us abundantly. He breaks us so that we look more like him. And then he sends us out to distribute his love to those around us. Like I said, I'm a planner. I like solid steps. I like direction. So if all of that is true, how do we actually go about meeting the needs around us? I think we just hit on the first step. We have to bring something to Jesus. So what do you have to bring? What are the bread and the fish in your life? If you have money, use it to help meet needs, not just desires. I'm gonna say something in a second, and when I say it, if you get really defensive, think about it, ponder it for a second. Starbucks is not a necessity. <laughs> if you have money, use it to help meet needs, not just desires. I'm not saying that you can't have a Starbucks but let's make sure that we're using our money to glorify Jesus and to help meet others' needs as well. If you have talents, use them to serve. If you have a car, give someone a ride to church. Make a friend. Sometimes that's all that people need. Tell someone about Jesus because of what he's done in your life. It's not about being enough to meet every need. It's about meeting some needs with what you have. Second step, follow Jesus' instructions. He took the five loaves and he, the fishes. He directed the crowd to sit down in groups of 50 or 100 on the grass. Bless the Lord, there was organization in everything that he did. Yeah, love it. 
He took the food, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to the disciples to give to the people. They took it and they distributed it. Sometimes it's just that simple. As Jesus gives us direction, we just give to others what he's already given us. Have you ever heard the phrase, what God is doing in us, he wants to do through us? Yeah. That's, it's that simple. Jesus acted compassionately toward his disciples when he took them to that side of the lake. And as he performed this miracle, I think he wanted them to just be a part, to help meet the need as theirs had been met. We just give from what he gives us, and we don't do it alone, which is the third step. If we want to help meet a need that big, we have to work together. As Jesus multiplied the food miraculously, he sent the disciples out to go distribute it. We can accomplish so much more for the kingdom of God together than we could ever dream of accomplishing alone. Does anybody know roughly how many people in Columbia are students on all three campuses? Those are some high guesses. So <laughs> there's actually about 24,000 undergrad students. It's 31 if you count grad between all three. Jesus fed between 10,000 and 20,000 people with a miracle and 12 disciples. Look around for a second <laughs> how many of us there are. It inspires me because I can feel Jesus moving right now and I know that he wants to do some powerful things. So if he can feed 10 to 20,000 people with a miracle and 12 disciples, think about how much he could do through us. We're getting ready to spend a whole month talking about Feed One and how we can help end world hunger in our generation, right? And I believe that we can do it. Not by ourselves, but I know in the month of November there's gonna be Chi Alphas all over this nation doing the exact same thing that we're gonna be doing. They're gonna be raising money to help feed kids and if we work together, we're gonna make a really big impact. Does anybody know how much money, offhand, um, that our Chi Alpha specifically raised for Feed One last year? <laughs> Thanks, Elizabeth. <laughs> so one of the commentaries that I was reading about this passage said that if you were to calculate the amount of money it would have cost to buy enough bread to feed the crowd in today's monetary values, it was a strangely familiar number. Does anybody want to guess? Yeah. Actually, <laughs> it was. And I think it's really cool to think that we've already come up with that much to feed the kids. Jesus takes what we bring and he blesses it and he multiplies it and we get to work together to help meet the need. Think about how much more he can do the more that we get on board with that, the more that we bring to him. And that's what's incredible about being a part of this community. Collectively, we already see some of the needs around us, right? Every month we're having monthly service events to reach out to the community in Columbia and help serve and give back. There are E-team events every single week on campus so more people will know Jesus. And I can tell you a bunch of us are doing what we can to feed one more kid. But like I said earlier, I feel like Jesus is calling us tonight to something deeper, to a deeper understanding of what he can do when we give from what he's already given us. When I think about feeding 5,000 people, I get exhausted. It's really easy to be wearied by big goals, and I respond like Philip, like how? <laughs> how on earth is this supposed to happen? When I think of what I have to give, I know that I have limits, and I can only offer so much of myself before I have nothing left to give. But Jesus gives, and he gives, and he gives more until all are fed. 
right? That's what the passage says. And so just thinking about it, like have all of the people around us been fed spiritually? Have all of the kids been fed yet? No. Jesus is willing to divide up what he has and he just says, here, take this piece of me and go give it to that 50 over there. Bailey, I want you to go to those 50 people and when they've had enough to eat, come back and I'll send you to the next group. He does it in chunks so that it's manageable for us. I think he does that because he knows that we get overwhelmed easily. But Jesus gives and he gives and he gives and he continues to give more of himself and all he's asking us to do is just play a part. He just wants us to take what he's given us and distribute it to the people around us. So will we do it? As we're closing tonight, I would like everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes.